This is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience podcast. As technology is changing all around us, so do the security threats. We no longer live in a world that can survive on separate cyber and physical security plans. Instead, corporations and governments are beginning to merge these plans together to work with one another to fight against the threats. And my friends, the threats are real. They impact all of us. This week, my guest is Charles Margiota. Charlie retired from the FBI after 23 years of service, and before that, he was with the New York State Police. Today, Charlie works with me here at QTS. He's vice president of corporate security, and we're going to sit down and discuss what converged security is and why you and I need to pay attention to it on the next QTS Experience. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data, how we make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. QTS Experience. Charlie, welcome to the show. Sir, great to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, um, I'm very glad you're here. I'm really excited about this because um, when I was a kid, I never liked horror movies, ever, because they always... I had one of two experiences with them. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Or it terrified me, you know, one of the two. And uh, hopefully this isn't the I don't believe it category. I think this is going to be the semi-terrifying category. And what makes it worse is you've got such a handsome, trusting face that I know (laughs) the truth that you're about to bring. It's going to get me anxious. So I'm glad you came on the show. One of the reasons why, one of the main reasons I won't, wanted you to come on the show was your experience um, first in law enforcement and then later in uh, corporate security around data centers. But let's start with uh, law enforcement. So can you give us a little bit of background of your journey there? Sure, absolutely. You know, I was, uh, I consider myself blessed throughout my career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, got a uh, got a degree in, in political science, got a master's degree in public administration, um, and then went, went and became a, a trooper with the New York State Police. Mm-hmm. And people were like, what are you doing? Right. And, and I said, <laughs> no, you know, and, and a lot of times it, it's not a profession, it's a calling. Right. You know, it truly is. So uh, two years uh, with the New York State Police, and then uh, again, was blessed, lucky enough to get into the FBI. And did 24 years with the FBI from 1996 to 2020. What was the goal always? The FBI? You know, it was. Mm. It, it really was. And and naturally, as, as you mentioned, growing up, you know, you, you watched horror movies. Yeah. I watched you know police movies, investigative yeah. movies. You know, um, just some great uh, some great um, information that's out there about how to do good, mm-hmm. about how to, and I won't necessarily say save the day, mm-hmm. but to be a part of, of taking care of people, of protecting something. And, you know, there's no nothing more important than protecting the United States. One of the things that would get me riled up, and I, as you said that, I suppose I've always known it, but it just kind of popped in my head. I get really angry or frustrated or get very emotional, maybe that's the best word, in movies where, or stories for that matter, any kind of story where there's injustice and in particular where injustice is never reconciled justly in a story. A poor example, but a recent example of that is my wife and I are watching the new iteration of Lost in Space. Have you seen that? I have um, not. I've, I've seen the old iteration, yeah, yeah, yeah. not so the new. In the, in the original, Dr. Smith is this kind of bumbling, you know, um, 
character who I wouldn't necessarily call him evil, certainly self-serving and selfish, but you would see him on occasion doing, you know, going, try, risking himself in his own way for will or whatever. In the new one, this character brilliantly played by Parker Posey has made me just furious, just injustice after injustice. And you, when you see, <clears throat> or, or when I think it's the human condition, when you see people getting away with over the long term, in where they are able to take advantage of other human beings and mm-hmm. and break them and ruin them or whatever, and um, and get away with it. it. There's just something I think in all of us that just I want justice. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean justice without mercy. That's not what I mean. I I don't mean blind justice. We all need mercy on occasion. And there are probably occasions where we haven't demonstrated justice occasionally. But when you see an injustice and it's never reconciled, people, quote unquote, get away with it. And and that's why I said, said, Dave, it it is a calling. You know, police officers in in today's, you know, in today's society, um, that they see things that no other individuals, you know, in society see, nor should they. Right. Um, and the tragedy they that they deal with on a daily basis, you know, um, unless you've been a part of it, you truly don't understand because people call the police, they call fire EMS at their worst time, right. literally at their worst time. When you show up, you know, a lot of times you are everything to that person. Yeah. You know, you are life, safety, you know, everything that you can be to protect them and to bring them out of their worst situation. And sometimes it's not recognized. That's why it truly is a calling to be able to do that day in and day out. And I salute every police officer who is out there every day. And with fire, EMS, our emergency response, you know, they truly deserve and should have our respect and our appreciation. friend of mine um – I don't have his permission to use his name, so I'll wait to use it another time. But he is a uh, policeman of many, many years, several decades. And I I learned my lesson the hard way not to be glib. Usually we're just smart, Alex. We've been friends since we were kids. And um, I called him up and uh, just hadn't – really hadn't learned the lesson and he answered the phone in a really serious way. And that's not our nature. Normally, you know, like – ex-airborne military people or first responder or whatever, you know, you, you trash talk each other. It's in love. That's what you do. You call each other out constantly. You don't mean it, but that's just what you do. And he, um, you know, he, he answered the phone a very serious. And I was like, you know, how you doing, man? You know, what's going on? What's your problem? He's like, ah, oh, man, it's just been a, a long, hard day. Mm-hmm. You know, he wanted to spare mm-hmm. me from the long, hard day. And it didn't even occur to me what kind of day that could have been. And so I kind of got in his Kool-Aid and making fun of him. And I said, well, how hard? I can't remember all the details, but it sort of ended with like, how hard could it possibly have been? You know, you got a cushy job or whatever it was. He said, well, I just came from the morgue identifying a five-year-old and an eight-year-old who I had discovered the day before shot in the back of the head by their dad after he had um, killed their grandparents and wounded their mom. And he described this situation. He was one of the first people on scene. And as he walked through it, I started weeping. I couldn't Mm -hmm. even, you know, one, obviously you can imagine, I I project myself as a dad and, you know, I can't even imagine that sort of horror. 
And then my callousness, and you're, you know, you're just like, man, it doesn't even occur to me that regular people have to go to horrific situations all the time right. and somehow manage through those and come home and be a regular human being at the end of the day for their family. Exactly. And do it regularly. And try to compartment, compartmentalize yeah. a lot of that. And it is difficult. It truly is. And that's why... You know, I, again, I, I've been blessed throughout and to have the support of family, yeah. you know, and the understanding, but also the support, you know, of your, your coworkers, mm -hmm. you know, the men and women that you work with day in and day out and you rely on each other um, to really gain that support and to have that support. And then, you know, after that, you've got the human resources that are so important. It's right. so important throughout, you know, and we've seen that in the last two years with the pandemic, yeah. how important human resources really are, how important it is to, you know, maintain the investment we put into our people. Mm -hmm. You know, we invest a lot, no matter, no matter what company you have or government agency you're with, there is a lot of investment that goes into recruiting, hiring, conducting background checks, you know, ensuring that the people you get are of good quality, mm -hmm. you know, have good judgment. Mm -hmm. And you can't just, you know, kind of willy-nilly throw that away mm -hmm. at, at the, you know, drop of a hat. You have to be able to invest in those programs, those employee assistance programs mm -hmm. that bring people along, yeah. that ensure that you're, you know, you're getting the most out of your investment. And they're people. How is, how is being in the FBI in particular policing changed in your career? Because I, I talked to a buddy of mine who had retired. He's probably retired now, I don't know, three or four years. And um, early days, I want to say he was stationed up in New Hampshire and, you know, served a n number of duty stations. And he's like, you know, it was about what you'd think, bank robbers and, um, you know, fraud checks and a number of things that he talked about. Pretty, pretty standard stuff. And by the end of his career, it was very different, the things that he yes. was worried about. So how has it changed in your world? You know, and I, and I guess it's the good or the bad. Yeah. You're always going to have those bank robbers. Right. You know, you're always going to have the fraudsters, the bad checks, right. all of that. What we have seen throughout, you know, the last 20 years is how advanced and techno technologically advanced and technically advanced the criminals have become. Mm. You know, we used to say... If there was a bank robbery, you know, you lift fingerprints. Right. You know, you go there, you do the investigation, you interview all of the, you know, all of the witnesses, everybody who is there, you build your case. Right. Now it's it's forensic science that is really building, you know, we, we call it not not fingerprint dust, but digital dust. Mm. You know, how did somebody potentially hack into a company's financial information? You mm -hmm. know, how did they track an individual, you know, um, from GPS, mm -hmm. from other types of, of um, technically advanced and IT systems? So mm -hmm. it really has gotten increasingly complex, which means we have to keep up with those criminals. Mm -hmm. We have to hire good people in law enforcement mm -hmm. um, who are able to understand that, who are able to track using cell phones, using computers, using IP addresses, all of that. Mm. And it really comes into play. And what it also does is it makes you um, value and use your partners much better too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the FBI, we realized, uh, I personally realized, you're not going to, you know, investigate and make the case by yourself. Mm -hmm. You are going to need the assistance of 
local police departments, you know, perhaps DHS, in some situations, the CIA, NSA, whoever. It really is a team sport in, in today's society mm-hmm. when it comes to cracking those criminals. Once upon a time, I would imagine to be a, what I'm thinking of as a bank robber, required a lot of courage. Like to, you know, if, if you th- really think about it too, because you had to physically go there. So one, you had to sort of plan this thing out. How am I going to get in? When am I going to do it? What am I going to say? How am I going to behave? I'm, I don't know if I've given them too much credit, but short of being some deranged, you know, last second, let's go do it. But you know, you, and then you physically, I imagine a million people imagine they were going to do something. The movies are full of that. My daughter's got to get the emergency medicine. And so I'm going to go do something or whatever, but in real life, it probably didn't happen like that. Um, and to do it by yourself was probably even rarer than, um, you know, to, cause you need the, um, you know, a group together, um, to get, uh, you know, convince each other we can do this or whatever. So then you go in, you physically confront, so whether it's with a weapon or whatever, but you've got to have the courage to do it and then go through that and then leave. Like there's a, there's a lot of working up to that as opposed to, um, you know, doing it digitally or electronically where I'm trying, I'm, I'm looking for vulnerabilities. I'm, you know, I don't physically have to be there necessarily. I certainly don't have to be as confrontational in some ways. I think it's kind of like, you know, once when I was a kid, you got bullied on the bus or at the playground, like they were in your face right. and somebody had to be a right. real bully there. They didn't hide behind anonymity or online, which in many ways is m- much more powerful because it's on the web and it lasts forever and you mm-hmm. can employ a number of tactics and, you know, people love to pile in. When I was a kid and I got bullied or in fights, I didn't have eight people jumping in on me. It was me and that person usually. Now, they might have been encouraging the person, but I didn't usually have to fend my, for myself from multiple people. Today, they can all pile on. So does that just lead to, um, I mean, is that a right understanding that once upon a time to go and and actually try to steal something, you had to do it in person, at least the kind of things we're talking about now. <laughs> And there's a physical risk you're putting. You could be killed. I mean, there's right. all kinds of things that could go sideways as opposed to now it's a white collar crime or, a, you know, what, however it is that they describe it. But it's, um, it, it feels like more and more people, one, have the tech savvy, but two, they don't, they're not putting themselves physically at risk. At risk. And, and, you know, Dave, you mentioned that you don't even have to steal anymore. You could do that, absolutely. And <clears throat> and what's amazing to me is sort of the off-the-shelf software that's available nowadays for people to use that. Mm. Even ransomware, you know, it, it's not just stealing, but it's also denying service. Right. So you can deny service for a ransom. And, um, you know, information is out there right now of different groups that sort of troll companies, agencies, you know, um, government agencies – and troll to see where that vulnerability is. Mm. Then they sell the information to that one individual or group of individuals mm-hmm. that is willing to take that step that you mentioned, mm. that courage to say, you know what, we are going to shut down a pipeline mm-hmm. or we are going to hold a company ransom and shut down all of their operations mm. until they pay us back. So the advancement of the criminal today is incredible. But as I mentioned, what you all have to, what we have to do now, is advance the capabilities of law enforcement 
to counter that mm -hmm. and to ensure, as you said, justice is served. It's almost like criminal as a service. You know, we got... <laughs> Criminal as a service, right? right? Yeah. Crime as a service. I mean, I feel an SNL skit coming on where they, you know, you show up. What kind of crime are you trying to get done? Uh, you know, we got our cloud enabled, uh, you know, whatever over here. We got our Ponzi scheme. We got our denial of, you know, whatever. Like, depending upon the sophistication of the target and, you know, your goals, you know, I mean, that's what it sounds like. And and there are there are great companies out there also that do assist with, hey, protecting. How do we ensure that updates are continuously being provided to companies, that patches are there to ensure they're not vulnerable? Right. You know, how do we respond to get that ransomware, you know, to get things turned back on? Right. To ensure that local governments aren't shut down, you know, 911 call centers aren't shut down. Right. You know, there are great white hats out there that can be employed to, you know, to prevent this, yeah. or at least know what's coming and know what the risks are. Now, how much do you think this is, well, I guess two different groups I'm thinking of, organized versus unorganized. And what I mean by organized is, I don't know, my, the most romantic I can think of this is, I forget the name of the show, but it was a group of these kids, I think it was based on a true story at an MIT the professor was played by uh, Kevin Spacey, and they learn how to count Card, cards, cards or whatever. Yeah, yeah, the card movie. Yeah, and they went to Vegas, and they, you know, you're you're nobody has sympathy for the casino. Everybody wants to see you get over on the casino, and I, you know, I mean, we have a Robin Hood complex, and I, I, agree, you know, I'm I'm a sucker for that kind of too stuff too. But anyway, so you've you've got you know, there's a there's some kind of an organization. Versus just somebody who figures out a shtick or an idea or uh, whatever. So, so that's one, organized versus unorganized. And then the second would be domestic versus mm -hmm. international. International. And by international, I don't know if it's as simple as that same organization, a group of college kids out of some, I don't want to name any particular mm -hmm. city or state, but you know, some, some place over there um, in, uh, in Europe or Asia, or even um, – a government. I mean, there's big money. You know, if you could sponsor a government uh, or if a government can sponsor a group of people and maybe have layers of distance in between them, but, you know, support that. We've been doing that for all of history, um, whether we are leveraging, you know, selling human beings or, or you know, we've got this thing and you we can't legally sell this drug or this uh, rare material, but we're going to sell these this ivory through a third or fourth party, right? There's always been that stuff. So FBI, even corporate security, when you think about just your experience, are most people organized and sophisticated or is it sort of, you know, more laissez-faire and is it more domestic, international? How, how do you re work through that? You, you know, and I tell you, probably one of the best assignments I had in the FBI um, was my last year with them. Okay. I was assigned – um, on detail over to the office of the director of national intelligence, ODNI, okay. and I was um, I was chair of the inside, national insider threat task force. Mm -hmm. But what was great at ODNI, and it's all the big thinkers that are there, mm -hmm. um, fantastic group of individuals who work extremely hard every single day. Sure. But what we came out with in 2020 was the uh, ODNI counterintelligence national strategy. 
And what that talked about, Dave, was a lot of what you just said, the who. Mm-hmm. Who are the actors that are out there that are trying to, you know, get a leg up on the United States, on our industry, on our, our agencies, all of that. Um, but it kind of went away from the who, individual actors, nation state actors, to the what. Mm-hmm. What are they targeting? What are they going after? Mm-hmm. And and you saw it. You saw this, the um, 16 critical infrastructure entities that are out there, mm-hmm. you know, energy, utilities, agriculture, financial, all mm-hmm. of that. Um, but you also saw what else are they going after? They're going after us as a democracy. Mm-hmm. So they're going after our elections and mm-hmm. our election process. And yeah, you can name the countries, you can name, you know, the terrorist organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more important is, is what are they targeting? What are the crown jewels that we as a country need to protect? And then it even filters down to we as companies need to protect. What mm-hmm. are those crown jewels that if they got out or if they shut us off, you know, it, it would impact our financial you know, ability mm-hmm. um, and our national security? Mm-hmm. So if you shut down the grid for dams, electrical grids, and you now have blackouts, sewer systems, sewer systems, as I mentioned before, nine one one call mm-hmm. centers, uh, agriculture. You know, shut down some of our processing plants, and see how that goes. Mm-hmm. If you can't feed, you know, feed and care for uh, your citizenry. It's a nationwide Katrina. It is, and that's why it's not just financial, but it truly is national security. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm I'm worried about who the players are. Mm-hmm. You know, how are they being supported? How are they being funded? Are they individuals? But more importantly, I'm focused on how are we protecting our crown jewels? How are we ensuring that we as the company, you know, that I work for now, how are we ensuring that we're protected? Well, I'm going to come back to that in a second. I Once upon a time, it seemed like, and I hate to say it this way, that, that it was easier. We would, it seemed like who the threats were were pretty well identified. They had a flag. Um it was pretty clear what we agreed on, what we didn't agree on. We had a big pile of stuff we could push over here and they would eliminate them from the face of the earth and they had enough to reciprocate. And so in a way, and I'm not just alluding to Eastern Bloc countries, I mean, Mm -hmm. in the world. um, And if they didn't have that pile, we had the ability, whether we exercise good judgment or not, to, to extend our will and say, if you if you harm our people, kind of like ancient Rome, you know, if you um, if you attacked a Roman citizen, I, I remember a, a pretty uh, well-known story where um, they were getting ready to kill the Apostle Paul, and um, or at least try him cap for capital crime. He said, "Well, if you can't do that, I'm a Roman citizen." Yes. And they whoa! Every the governor they shut down. Everybody shut down and said stop, and they sent him off to Caesar. Um, and 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 that was that's probably the more famous story, but that happened throughout all of ancient Rome, right? If you were a Roman citizen, Rome might made right. They protected the roads. Mm-hmm. It was probably the safest time in the ancient world to travel a road. They spread Koinonia the Greeks. People had a common language. Like there's a lot of things. You could be a merchant, all things considered, you could be a merchant and pretty safe if you traveled a Roman road. Because if you violated the rules of the road. And they sent the Roman legions. When they got there, there was they didn't negotiate. They crucified everybody they could mm-hmm. find as far as they could till they ran out of wood. 
And that was the end of that. And so people didn't violate the peace, uh, more or less. Once upon a time, whether it's the United States or other countries, um, we had this understanding that, you know, there was, well, well, there might have been stuff on the fringes. There wasn't this all out stuff. Now it feels like it's much more vague. Like who, who do you, where do you send your aircraft carrier to? How, who, even if we wanted to respond in kind, you shut down my infrastructure, I'll shut down your infrastructure. Mm-hmm. You shut down my whatever, I'm going to reta- retaliate. But what if it's just some group in some hill or whatever? What if somebody within the United States does it to some group outside the United States? Because those organizations or governments are vulnerable. That's just some of the stuff I was talking about in the beginning of the horror show that gets scary. You sort of what if yourself into mm-hmm. h- how do we demonstrate that wasn't us? That's them. We have nothing to do with it. But it was within your borders. Yep. I read a terrifying book where they sent terrorists from a country that's easy to pick on to the United States where they set up a cell and you're like, oh, they're going to stop them and they're going to attack. Well, they didn't attack the United States. They attacked another country. I think the country they came from, but made it it look like like it was the United States and turned the world like, like as this. And of course, you know, Tom Cruise or somebody saved the day at the end, but it was like this terrifying Mm -hmm. thing. And the world's just gotten crazier since then. So, so how do you imagine um, – I don't even know where I'm going with this except for just <laughs> lament that this well, is scary stuff. Well, well, the funny point you make, and it's, and it's not so funny, you know, when you talk about sort of that setup with the nuclear weapons, I mean that, that, that became known mm. as, as MAD, right. Mutual Assured Destruction. That's right. That, that is what it was. And, and, you know, we as a nation, you know, and again, I'm not getting on my high horse right. here, but – we as a nation have to be able to say, if you do that to us, we are going to counter it in some way. Right. We are number one. We're going to protect ourselves. Right. Um, which forces us, as I as I mentioned in the beginning, to hire good talent. Mm. It forces us to say, and and people say, well, why do we have so many foreign students who come to the United States? Because this is the best place on earth. Absolutely. Why would the United we not States want is the that? Best place on earth. We, you know. And, yeah, I don't and, want to go sideways, but no, but but to bring people in to show them how great we are, right? And you know, them to have the ability to go to the best colleges and universities in the world, to come here to the U.S. to gain that information, yeah. uh, to be taught how, in an advanced society, we do protect ourselves and right. we protect our people. Yeah, I think you always persuade, and I know the cynics out there are going to just scoff at this, but I believe history has demonstrated. Ultimate change always comes by changing somebody's heart. It always, and I don't mean that Pollyanna. There are times you go out into the world with a sword or whatever it is to maintain and protect um, the population. The, the sheep dogs have to go out and protect the sheep from the wolves. Absolutely, not to pick on wolves and give wolves a bad name, but you know whatever the whatever the metaphor. The raptors. Let's pick on raptors today. Um, but it's but you you do have to do that for sure. I also want to encourage um, you know people of the world obviously to come to America in the right way, mm-hmm. but come here and see this is what it's like and be here for a period of time and and become a citizen and buy into the big idea and help make us better because we are a nation of you know we're a pluralistic society right we are not a hom- homogenous society or learn it. Get it, liberty, 
and free enterprise and um, private property and personal rights embedded in your heart and take it back home. Mm-hmm. Liberty will mm-hmm. always, always win prevail. over. Always. Yep. Uh, if, if allowed, the reason why we had to have Jim Crow laws a hundred years ago was because if left to our own devices, we would have worked ourselves out of a lot of that funk. And the people that tried to maintain it had to institute control over and eventually that didn't even work and so i just i think that's true of the world but um yeah you know let's let's continue to recruit people or even if they are here recruit them into whatever your organization is or your community is now we expect you to buy into the ideal and help make it better not to be um uh anyway where i was going to go before i change that is so in societies like america we try to be as um, to only apply enough authority to maintain order. Unrestricted chaos is just unrestricted chaos. Too much order is too much bureaucracy, and so mm-hmm. you get you know you have this bell curve. You have to have an, enough chaos to drive the engine. Steve Jobs is probably the best example of this. I've talked about it before on the show. Brings amazing energy and chaos and whatever, and then learn to add to himself order. So it keeps that organization, uh, kept his organization growing and innovating or whatever. There are organizations around the world that are much more authoritarian. And, um, and it feels like I had um, a professor from Villanova last year who had spent time at DARPA for many years, um, really, really, really a genius in this area. And he's a little uh, pessimistic is probably the wrong word, but certainly concerned there are a number of authoritarian, authoritarian governments where they don't have a bill of rights they have to worry about. And so they're able to leverage um, artificial intelligence, uh, uh, facial recognition, a whole bunch of other things upon their own population in a way that's really creating an advantage, for lack of a better word, in these technologies. And then in some the, the the concern is, I don't know if it's a threat yet, but the concern is um, then taking that and applying it to further their interests out in the world in a way that, you know, maybe vo- uh, violates how we would do business, but, they're, but they could operate here or in other Western organizations. Did the FBI in the past ever worry about that? Or do you now, as part of corporate security, is that an area that's concerning or are we absolutely. misunderstanding? No, no, no. They're, absolutely. And, you know, there are nation state actors out there right now <clears throat> that continue to hack and get information. And, and I'm not talking about, you know, little bits of information about right. one or two bank accounts or one or two, you know, IP addresses, we are talking millions and millions of data points right. um, that they hack into. And you look at some of the um, industries that they're hacking. So hotels, travel information, financial, bank account information, uh, medical information. And we've always talked about, you know, in the Bureau, we looked at, all right, well, number one, w- what are they going to do with that information? Why are, why are they trying to get that much information about that many individuals? Uh, OPM, everybody who had a clearance in the United States, they were hacked and all of that information was taken out. What's OPM? Uh, Office of um, – Office of Professional Management. We'll look it up. Look it up. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is. It's so OPM 
you know, has all that data and information on people who have clearances. Okay. And I'm not just talking about name, DOB, search. Right. I'm talking about every place you've lived. Right. You know, all of your siblings, all of your siblings' you know, spouses, right. all of your children, uh, all of your contacts, pages and pages of information, and they have that on every single individual. Mm-hmm. So we talked about from a targeting standpoint, um, okay, now if I want information and I'm trying to hack into it, and I'm trying my best to brute force attacks, and I'm not getting it, what am I always going to revert to? I'm going to revert back to that one-on-one personal contact, personal information. Mm. So just think about for a minute, if I want to target Dave because he has access to one of the most important you know, current uh, um, uh, defense systems that the United States is working right. on, if I want to go after Dave and now I have – his financial information. Now, why would you, in this scenario, why would you want to go at me so that you can persuade me to act on your behalf? Yes, okay. to give you the information that you're working on, okay. whether from a research standpoint or an actual on the ground working okay. it. You know, so and and look at all the industries right now, which we'll touch on. But but I want to go after Dave because I know somehow. First of all, I've been out and I've been. Um, I've been targeting him. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at him. Mm-hmm. I'm assessing him. I'm mm-hmm. determining whether or not he's the right person based on his title. Oh, mm-hmm. on LinkedIn, thanks for giving me your title. Mm-hmm. So now I have your title. You put on there what programs you're working. Now I know. So I start with all that other information I know financially is Dave set. Mm-hmm. You know, did he just buy a new a new vehicle that, guess what, he can't afford? Mm-hmm. And then, oh, by the way, I not only have your medical information, but I have the medical information of your spouse, your children, everything else. And I know that, oh, you know, your daughter, she needs a surgery right now. But guess what? Based on your financials, you're not going to be able to afford. Mm. And I also have other medical information to know that, okay, you didn't pay certain bills. So now maybe the insurance company you have is dropping you. And See, o- this is why I didn't want to have this conversation, Charlie, because it's it like a movie. <laughs> but then, oh, by the way... I know where you travel because I hacked into your, you know, w- what your favorite hotel is. Mm-hmm. And I, I now know all your history of where you like to go every spring mm-hmm. or summer or fall. And guess what? I get an operative. So I've assessed you. I've been doing the research on you. Now I'm going to target you. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to go and I'm going to send somebody to that hotel that you happen to be staying at. And I'm going to bump up against you. And I'm going to try to recruit you to come to my side to give us the information. And it starts small. You mm-hmm. know, there's great information out there, mm-hmm. great public information that the FBI has put out, CIA has put out, about how to counter these types of, of approaches. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to come to that hotel and I'm just going to say, hey, you know, pony up to you next to the bar or mm-hmm. next to the pool or wherever you happen to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start hitting on those triggers that you have. Mm-hmm. You know, some of that, hey, you know, guess what? My child's going in for a, a surgery too. Mm. And here's what I did. And then once you open up and once you're willing to expose that you have that vulnerability Mm. and they're able to fill that either monetarily or whatever your desire is, Mm -hmm. now they've got you on the hook. Now you're fully recruited. And when they have that much information and they're able to start targeting for what they want, Mm -hmm. you know, all the AI that's out there has now whittled down what used to take months, if not years, of targeting from the FBI standpoint of trying to recruit someone from another from another government agency or from another country. Mm-hmm. Now they're able to do that with AI in a matter of hours, days, depending on how long the operation takes. So how do you 
it's it's almost overwhelming. In fact, where I started to go, and I think I'm changing my mind is, well, but yeah, but we could say, well, we'll just do it to you, you know, your your citizens. You know, all, instead of nuclear wars, our our AI recruiting data against your AI recruiting data, and you know, or whatever. But setting that aside, um, however effective that may or may not be, um, like how do regular people? with vulnerabilities and whatever, survive that? How do you uh, concentrate? Because that is seductive, you know? Very. Depending upon your tradition, the very first couple couldn't resist the tree. Correct. You know, fruit off of the tree. H- how do you, How do you? you know, you make that 100 times more sophisticated. You know, my first thought was, I, I would like to think, well, you know, I've been married 35 years and, you know, I wouldn't be seduced by something like that. But to your point... What's your trigger? What's the thing? Are you are you angry at the way you've been treated at work? Maybe, maybe maybe it's a sweet position someplace else. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, something very sensual or whatever. Maybe mm-hmm. it's just a retire or whatever whatever it is, relief in some way, a recognition. We had an FBI agent who um, sold information, gave him information to a nation state actor mm-hmm. because he didn't get the promotion he wanted. And he was stuck in New York, working in the New York office. Mm. Sometimes, Dave, it's as simple as recognition. Mm. You know, you talk about what is that trigger. It's recognition. It's treating people as people. At the same time, it's educating them that these forces are out there and not to be naive, not to think it's never going to happen to you, not to think that, oh, I'm not that important. Right. No. Everybody is important. And if we don't educate employees um, and not just those with clearances and those who have access to that that sensitive and classified information, because those people also have family members. Right. They also have friends, you know, some that they confide in. And if the enemy knows that, they're going to target your entire network. Um, and the problem nowadays is, you know, with the advancement of technology, we make that so much more available, not even thinking about it. We put things out on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Heck, my house, Twitter. my thermostat, my microwave. Yes. My, I'm, I'm researching a Bluetooth coffee maker because I'm sick and tired of, did I set the timer right around? I want it tied to my phone. You know, I mean, the attraction of a quote unquote smart home. Which is whenever you, I'm becoming convinced. Whenever you see the word "smart," just insert "vulnerable." Vulnerable, absolutely. It, and 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 look at business, you know, um, um, business management systems. You know, look at what buildings have now. Building management systems, <clears throat> you know, that you can hack into, and you can guess what? Where that room is supposed to be a certain temperature to mm-hmm. handle certain, you know, items that are in that room. Yeah. Now you mess with the thermostat. You turn that up. You shut down other things. There's your vulnerability. There's your attack. Mm-hmm. You know, what could be more uh, damaging to a data center than something like that? Yeah, it, it's. So how do you go about – well, let's start with the FBI. How did the FBI go about – one, seems like they, they have, a, they have a, a tough task. People are attracted to convenience. People are attracted to um, – uh, I was going to say economic. Let's just say cheap. This is a blue-collar blue collar conversation. right? If something's cheap and easy, it's convenient – um, I've just started a diet program. I hate that, uh, you know, ugly word, but after 
uh, let's see, 24 years of being overweight. That's about the time we had our first daughter. Um, and we're looking at the pictures like, when did I, when did I become the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man? I don't remember. I don't remember that. I, I, you know, I need to get a t-shirt that says the older I get, the skinnier I was. Now I'm a thick German, Scots, Irish, but I was, you know, 200 pounder in the, in the army and not too much more. And then I hit 30 something and, uh, started having daughters and all of a sudden, I should be in a Macy's Day Parade. So anyway, we're looking back. And I've told myself, I've even lost some weight over that time. I had a major health incident a few mm-hmm. years ago that caught my attention. And I lost probably 20, 30 pounds. I thought, oh, there we go. Nah, I just kind of slid back over time. And um, and just said, look, I've got to, you know, if I don't make a fundamental change, I know where this where this goes. Um, but when, in sort of working through how do I make this successful – and talking to my sister who's lost 90-something pounds, and she's wow. a very similar age to me, and other people that have been successful, what we've determined is our biggest vulnerability is convenience. Mm-hmm. If, it's, if I have to make mm-hmm. a decision in that moment that I come home, I didn't eat breakfast, I've drunk coffee all day, um, I didn't stay hydrated, I get home, it's 6 or 7 o'clock at night, I am hungry enough to gnaw my arm off. All 300 pounds of me is saying, <laughs> I got to eat now. I'm not making wise decisions. Right. Decision. Now, if there's good, healthy food sitting right there, my wife's got a plate of vegetables and maybe a piece of salmon, I'm not going to bypass it. I'll eat that all up. I'm satisfied. But more often than not, that's not the case. And so I go for the low-hanging fruit. When I come home, it drives me nuts at home as a technologist, not really thinking about vulnerability so much. It's just habits drilled into me, mostly working at the university. As soon as I get home, I change the default admin name on my router. I change the default passwords. I change everybody's devices. I set up just, you know, um, commercial grade, not super heavy duty grade, security on people's, And they drives them nuts. Why do I have to have a password? And they're not even hard passwords mm-hmm. like this. All of our devices have the, I think, have these things on them. Um, when I go to my friends or neighbors, what's the guest password? Oh, it's, you know, whatever. I am amazed at how little attention from their ring doorbell all the way up that they put on securing anything. And they just can't imagine that they're vulnerable. And I just see this all over the place. And it's awareness. It is awareness. It's education. It's training. It's willpower. Mm. You know, you, you talk about that. And and we have a saying, you know, security is is not about convenience. Right. It, security is inconvenient. It is yeah. because it's pushing people out of their comfort zone. It's thinking about things that number one we don't want to think about. Yeah, we don't want to think that we're targets. You know, um, we don't want to think that we're vulnerable. That you know, a simple a simple task of going to the grocery store. You know, you still have to be aware of your surroundings. Yeah. You still have to be aware of what's out there. And convenience is great. Don't get me wrong. It, it, right. It's fantastic. But, you know, and again, I, I tend to take things, you know, times 100 and exponentially out. Yeah. So, you know, some of those drivers who are delivering, you know, are coming to your house. You know, I, I, I always ask, all right, well, what's the background of this individual? Right. You know, they're coming to fix the thermostat, Dad. Right. You know, or or don't worry, they're just fine. You know, right. are they? 
I yeah. mean, these are the types of thoughts you don't want to have because we do have faith in our, you know, in, in our our human beings that we surround ourselves with. We right. have faith in them. We we want to have that. But you know, what did President Reagan say? You know, right? Trust, trust but, but verify. verify. Yeah, and, that's one of the things he said. You know, my favorite thing he said. I'm just, I know they're going to make me cut this ad podcast, <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, you can almost find no reference, but it was really funny. He had a hot mic incident. I want to say it was 85, 84 or 85. I was still in my jump unit second when it term? happened. First term. Still first term. Yeah. Okay. Um, or beginning of the second. He came walking quickly up to the mic in the press room. He wasn't supposed to show up for like 15 minutes, Reagan being Reagan. And we thought it was hilarious because we were ignorant and had no idea. But he walked up to the microphone and said something like, my fellow Americans, I've just come from yes. a special session of Congress. We've outlawed Russia forever. We come the in bombing. bombing in five minutes. The bombing starts Thank in five you. minutes. And he left, not realizing it was a hot was mic. Real. And people, you know, it's always a hot mic, Mr. President. Yep. You know, people like, ah, you know what? When I, um, to your point about we don't think of ourselves as targets or vulnerable, vulnerable, um, my cop friend, um, I went through a series of, I own a bunch of weapons, public knowledge, uh, background checks, all that other stuff, but mm -hmm. I own a bunch of weapons. I'm not much for hunting animals. I have no interest in hurting other people. I really have some sort of issue with paper. Clay pigeons and paper, gotta go down. But anyway, we're at his range, and he invited me there to be part of a uh, class that he was teaching. The first Half of the class had nothing to do with weapons. One of the things he had to convey to us is um, if we're using that weapon to defend ourselves, before he ever got to the mechanics of how do you do that, and, and he mm -hmm. went through that. It was about four or five hours of that. But the first three or four hours was um, the emotional, you know, what that looks like emotionally. But also he had to convey to us there are violent people in the world in a level of violence that you don't understand as mm -hmm. a regular citizen, they're able to go to a level of violence that you have no comprehension of. And he wasn't trying to be disrespectful to those people. He's just saying, there are people in your life every day, you probably don't even know, they're at the store or whatever, but whatever their trigger is, they'll go violent in a way suddenly that... Um, you know, and he gave some examples of that. Mm -hmm. A lot of ex-cons, the mm -hmm. mob, you know, people, I remember Jay Leno telling a story on a podcast about when he first came up as a comic and some of the mobsters in New York City and Boston in their early days that they didn't threaten him, but he saw behavior that's oh, yeah. like, you know, so-and-so wasn't there the next week because yeah. he was gone. gone. Like it was, they didn't play. There was a level of violence. And he said, there's nothing more terrifying than being around a psychopathic, violent person like that who's normal, 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 and then not, and then, and then not. back to yep. normal, and there's something dead in their eyes. So anyway, we we don't want to realize that there are boogeymen in the world, right? And so we build up our bonfires really big, and we create these traditions, and we give people a badge and to patrol us, but we have to be aware there really are, whether it's a nation state or an individual and everybody in between, not to you know be trying to scare everybody, but that you have to be aware absolutely that and there's real vulnerabilities. You know, and it, it's educating. You know, we go out to dinner, we take the kids out. One of the first things we look at is, hey, where are the exits? 
and, and it's not just in case you know there's an active shooter, but right. but just any type of emergency. Right. What if there's a fire and you need to get out that right. way? What if something happens out front? You need to get out a different way. It's just that awareness. And I tell you, one of the great things I saw a couple weeks ago, I'm at, I'm at the the um, pharmacy, and I'm coming out, and there's an individual just you know it, it's at night, mm-hmm. so it's dark. Um, not not probably as well lit as it should have been. And there's an individual just walking across the parking lot. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because he had already passed me, so I was actually getting into my car, but I saw a woman coming out of the pharmacy, mm-hmm. walking to her car. And before I even got into mine, I just turned and just to kind of watch because mm-hmm. that's what we do. Mm-hmm. We look at the situation and we mm-hmm. kind of assess. She stopped. She stopped. She waited because mm-hmm. he was walking right past her car, and again, could have right. been an individual, you know, going right. going somewhere else, just right. parked there, but going to another location. But I assessed that, and I said, "Wow, there's there's a person who recognized in in an instant, hey, something's not maybe right. not necessarily right here. Right. Let me just wait and play this out. Right. She knew where her safe zone was. Right. She knew how to get back to it." And she was just insured. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, wow, does right. every member of my family know how to do that? Right. Do my coworkers know? Are we reminding each other, hey, this is what security safety looks like? Right. You know, and then teaching their spouses, their children, and all it's that. It's a tough. It's a tough balance, though. You know, you want to. We're an optimistic people, and we want to be. Um, we want to think the best of people, and we don't want to walk around paranoid and and fearful. You know, and so that's the. You know, I. You know, I only did three years in the service, but one of the things I do remember them trusting, it was all teaching, it was always in the scenario of combat, but it was, um, especially when they were teaching us when we worked with, um, let's just say partners, allies, mm-hmm. um, in foreign theater. Now, I never had to, but they put us through a lot of training about, look, like Reagan said, trust but verify. Give them a certain amount of trust. You cannot work together if you don't have a certain amount of trust, but recognize history is full of not every member of that constituency uh, may be on the same page. Somebody may have gotten to them. There, there may be something. What a better way to be vulnerable. And so just be wise. Yes. You know, Don't keep a red dot on them necessarily, right. but be wise in constant <laughs> situational awareness. And your ally today may not be your ally tomorrow. And so how do we establish those boundaries? And, and, and great great point, Dave. And you and I have talked about it too when it comes to that insider risk, that insider threat. Yeah. You know, and we've talked about who is in, in all of history, who is the worst insider ever? Well, either um, Judas or the, the, I mean, think there's even a diff- before. Uh, the um, even before you tell Lucifer, me, Lucifer, yeah. I, I went to it, um, the uh, Trojan horse, but the, yeah, I mean, in every the, tradition, there is there is yeah. that insider, right? So, what are we doing to ensure that we are protecting big picture, right? By ensuring that the people right next to us, you know, and again, what this pandemic has shown us too is just how. You know, crazy things can get. Mm-hmm. How they truly can. You know, you, you you look at it. When I was still employed by the government, we had an individual whose mom got sick and um, passed away. Mm-hmm. 
So I there there are a lot of horrible things that that mm-hmm. go on in the world. We had a situation similar to that. It was one, very traumatic. One of which personally is is the loss of, you know, a parent, right. the loss of your mom. Yeah. And he wasn't sure whether or not he was going to be able to travel to the location, you know, in the state that she right. was in because of all the COVID restrictions. Right. Can you imagine being told, number one, you weren't able to see right. you know, your parent in their right. last moments here on earth, right. but then secondly, that you weren't even going to be able to go and travel to where they were and grieve right. you know, the loss? Right. Just imagine the, the emotion that that individual is feeling. Right. You know, what do we have in place to ensure we have programs, we have people that can assess, are there triggers going on in people's lives? Mm-hmm. You know, and that could be anything. That could be uh, with childcare, you know, the stresses that come along with that, that mm-hmm. we all know. You know, elder care, taking care of our parents, mm-hmm. you know, getting through this pandemic. Um, ourselves, are we facing certain, you know, physical ailments mm. that we have to keep track of, that we have to take care of? Um, these are the things that if you have a good functioning insider risk, insider threat program, mm-hmm. it sees these things before they become major issues. It ensures the trustability of the people that we have working with us, mm. their judgment. It ensures that they're educated on, hey, whoops, I'm getting to a point where I'm just not right, you know, and I need to see somebody, I need to talk to somebody. Right. And that's not going to impact my job. That's not going to impact my ability to to make a living, mm-hmm. you know, to take care of my family. Mm-hmm. It's it's programs in place that assist. And once you have that, you've got a much better fun- functioning organization. I, you reminded me of this idea um, I want to talk about data centers for a minute. I'm in the data center business. You are now in the data center business. Welcome. I have people on the show have heard me say it many, many times. <clears throat> I think that the ideas of the world live in data centers, um, whether it's the uh, you know the tools that 911 are using to help humans flourish or respond when you know there's an emergency, or the formula for Coca Cola, or um, the people who got some of my money because of the Super Bowl, whatever, you know, the, the ideas, the ideas of the world, our pictures, you know, we've got the app on our phone that every now and then shows pictures from a decade ago. You and your kids were out dirt bike riding and look at that. Oh, that's when we liked them. Remember that? So cool. Um, <clears throat> so the idea is to live there. And I think then that makes data centers, if not certainly some of the most valuable real estate on earth. And if something's that valuable, you know, the commodity of the whole world today is data. Um, it's a target. And it used to be we would build this physical infrastructure that first and foremost has to be um, what we call 100% up. I'm not, not going to have an electrical or mechanical failure to take that 911 system down. So I, ha- I have to build like an airplane. I have to build enough redundancies mm-hmm. in this thing to keep it operating no matter, no matter what, from a physical, electrical, mechanical perspective. Second thing that I had to do is make sure that I didn't have physical vulnerabilities from things like a, a weather event, seismic event, something like that, that it, the physical infrastructure was as sturdy as I could make it. I had to make it um, controlled access points so that unauthorized people not only couldn't just get in it, but we followed the FBI's concentric zones of security model Mm -hmm. where the closer you get to things of value, 
the more and more restrictions and authentication are required to get to those. But it was pretty much all physical. Um, we, we then extended a fence around physical fences and in many cases, guard patrols, even armed guard patrols, because we realized that the infrastructure supporting the facility outside the facility walls, but in our property, in our yard could be vulnerable. The backup fuel or generator systems or whatever, all these variety of things where people park. Um, and now it feels like borders, what borders? Like, you know, we've got this massive K-rated fence, but last time I checked, we didn't have a whole bunch of 18-wheelers barreling down the hill, you know, to, and I'm not trying to dismiss that. That's, the threats that are coming are additive. It's not mm-hmm. like the others went away. They're still there. There's, you know, just like we talked about before, um, it's not so much technology in some of the cases that are creating the vulnerabilities. They're using the technology to help them identify the people in the old school way that we can make vulnerable. Um, how in your new role, um, you're essentially law enforcement or corporate security for us, in the things that you've talked about, how do we imagine what borders look like? And in particular, in an age of mobile employment, so that's a lot of words, but it seems, you know, I'll just give it to you and let you start trying to handle that. No, and that, that is where that idea, concept being put into motion now is that converged security. Okay. So it is all those things physical that you talk about. You know, it's the opportunity for someone to do something. So that's why the gates, the guards – you know, the lock, the access control points, all of that, mm-hmm. you know, sort of that converge now is taking that physical security and adding on top of it that cyber threat. Mm. You know, what are those cyber threats that are out there? How are they trying to attack us? What are our vulnerable points and how are they trying to access them? Mm-hmm. So you've got the physical converge with the cyber. Mm-hmm. And what I like to say, the third leg of that is intelligence. Mm. What is out there? You know, I've said before, we want to focus on the crown jewels. Mm -hmm. We still want to know who is targeting them Mm -hmm. and how are they targeting them. Is the potential threat a, you know, a physical threat, as you mentioned, of someone trying to ram the fence because not just we're QTS, but maybe they became aware of who one of our customers are. Yeah. Or they realize that we house, as I said before, too, it's not just about stealing. It may be that denial of service. Mm -hmm. It may be just that I want to do something destructive today. Mm -hmm. And that means, you know, ramming the fence, trying to injure someone, trying to take someone down just Mm -hmm. because, you know what, today is the day. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's converging all of that, having the physical, the cyber, the intel, you know, the intelligence portion that Mm. gives us that awareness Mm. so that we're sort of ahead of it. And, And what do we do? You know, it's that partnership. Having that ability to, okay, InfraGuard, which is a group put on by the FBI that provides intelligence and information, mm-hmm. it does training. It, it makes us aware. You know, NCTC, the National Counterterrorism Center, you know, that's part of ODNI also, mm-hmm. continuously giving updates, not just of what's, what they're seeing domestically, but what are they seeing in that international field. Mm-hmm. OSAC, you know, the Overseas Security Advisory Committee, that's part of the Department of State. They have daily updates that come out that are talking about what are the threats we're seeing. You know, and if we're seeing them overseas, 
the potential is we may at some point see them here in the U.S. So is it outrage because of the the newest lockdown that's going on because of the pandemic? Mm-hmm. You know, is it disgruntlement with the government? You know, and then how are they acting in some of these overseas locations? Is it via a mob? Is it via, you know, civil unrest? Molotov cocktails, attacks on people as they're going to work. You know, if we see it overseas and we see it as a vulnerability, mm-hmm. let's start preparing for that here. If it is a potential for a cyber intrusion attack, let's get our systems ready for that and see if there's anything that's out there. What happened to the good old days if I just had to worry about a hurricane <laughs> taking the roof off? Oh, but believe me, that's part of it too, Dave. And that's, you know, that's what's great is all of the systems that are out there. FEMA, you know, we, we track and we have a great, you know, FEMA has great information and intelligence that they put out there. Incoming hurricanes, here's what to look for, seismic activity, you know, how to prepare for it and then how to, how to respond to it once it does happen. So how do you, well, I've got a number of things I want to ask. Let, First of all, so somebody will, if my premise is true and, um, you you know, in in the industry that we work in, we work with the world's largest buyers, right? Um, Some of the most sophisticated technology companies on earth. That's just the industry we're in. Um, Whether it's uh, e-commerce, social media, um, uh, software as a service, hopefully not crime as a service, whatever it is, entertainment, all of this... All of that stuff, that connected world, lives in somebody's data center, ours, somebody else's. How do you how do you put together a program? How do you sift through? I mean, I'm sure the the FBI or any law enforcement agency has to do the same thing. There's correct. Please be kind to me when you correct me. There's threats and there's credible threats, right? Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. there's man. If you worry about everybody clearing their throat, you're in big trouble. I want to give you an example of that, that just thought of that's probably terrible, but it makes me laugh every time I think about it. About a month ago, my, I'm sorry, longer than that, Christmas holidays, my daughters were shopping at the mall. Why anybody would willingly go A, to a mall when there's an app on your phone that could do it. And at the holidays, I have no idea, but I think they were exchanging something. Glutton for punishment. And um, I was out going to see a friend. And remember that time of the year, five o'clock at night, it's pitch black. So they went to the mall. Mall's closed on a Sunday night at six o'clock. My 21-year-old calls me up in tears. Papa, they've stolen my car. What? They stole my car. Okay. Hold on. Where are you at? I'm at the mall. The parking lots are empty. My car's not here. Like, distraught. My 23 year old daughter is standing there with her raging war, looking for somebody to pepper spray. I'm just certain she's going to spray herself. Their mom's giving them one of those little nine volt uh, tasers. They're going to tase themselves and pepper spray themselves, and there's no one around. I know that's going to happen. And then. How am I going to replace this car that I bought before inflation drove? Mm. You know, so this is all run through my mind. Are you safe? Are you? We're in a lighted spot. We're safe. Okay, let's see what we can do to get somebody over there, and um, blah blah blah. So we start working. I start working the problem. Call my friend. I I can't make it. I'm heading over. Eight minutes late. Not even eight minutes. Five minutes later, my daughter calls me. The older one, because the younger one's a little sheepish, and says. Hey, we're in a safe spot. One of the mall security driving around 
picked us up. It's a 60-year-old guy, her guest, from New York. And um, kind of this old, and I say that to say, because it's kind of like this forget about it kind of, you know, attitude. And he's like, what's going on? Somebody stole our car, you know, and they're, they're starting to get kind of emotional. He said, really? What kind of car is it? 2013, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, he goes, nobody stole that piece of whatever. You sure you parked in the right spot? This is our store. We came out that door. And he said, this store has three mm -hmm. entrances. Loads them up, drives them to the other parking lot, hold your, you know, key out the window. There's the car. Yep. So she calls me up. So I just start laughing because no, he's, you know, his response, nobody's going to steal that thing. That's a pile of junk, right? But if it had been a different vehicle, there are a number of vehicles that fit the criteria like mm -hmm. that suckers, you know, because that was my question to them. Did he talk about, are there anything? Oh yeah, there's, there's a number of them. I'm not going to name them here, but there are a number of, man, he'd have said, just call the cops because that sucker's it's long gone. gone. In our world, we work with companies that are, because of their nature, they are targets. They might host platforms in um, parts of the world that governments don't want that much freedom or they don't want them. To, there's a competitive event or whatever it is. I don't want to speculate too much, but they're targets and they live in a facility like ours. So how much – or our, our competitors, you know, we've yep. got great competitors – what kind of conver first of all, what kind of conversation do you have with organizations like them to help um, help give them confidence that we're serious about and our industry is serious about this? And then number two, how are you serious about it? What's great is those those companies uh -huh. they know the threat too. Okay, and it is so much easier when you're talking to groups of individuals that understand the threat too, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you talk about credible threats versus, you know, real threats um, or incredible threats. Right. You know, we talked about it many times, Dave, especially in the FBI, you had individuals who never dreamed they would fly airliners into buildings. Yeah. You thought that that was the most unbelievable It's a fictional concept. book, right? It, would it just never would happen. never happen. Correct. Until it, it did. Happened. Right. And when we're dealing with some of some of the companies that, that you mm -hmm. talk about, they get it. Mm -hmm. They understand it. And they expect the level of security that are they we able provide. To share these are things like I I'm sure in a and I don't want to obviously we can't get into any minutiae, but do they have the ability to share with with people in a role like yours here or just in the industry to say, look, these are the things that have been, either we've been threatened with mm -hmm. or things that we've experienced or whatever, so that you can work together. I mean, they do that on the mechanical infrastructure side for us, so we can build environments that perform. Absolutely. A absolutely. And we, you know, we like to say a bad day for a data center, mm -hmm. doesn't matter who it is, is a bad day for the data center industry. Right. You know, so if we are not Well, for people, sharing, because everything in there, everything things in there. Are what people use every day in their life. And and we call it sharing best practices. Okay. You know, we've got formal groups that get together that talk about these threats, talk about mitigating factors that we put in place to right. mitigate those threats. And then we have informal discussions, you know, of, of individuals who, you know, have this type of responsibility that we want to make sure nobody fails. Mm. Um, you know, you talk about the the um, 
the Las Vegas shooter. Mm-hmm. You talk about the Pulse nightclub shooting. Mm. You know, these were individuals who those were not their intended targets. Mm-hmm. Those were sort of secondary targets because their initial one was too well protected. Mm-hmm. If you can, if you can what kind was of the follow initial that. target. Um, I don't remember. I know uh, for the Pulse nightclub, I think Disney was, oh, okay. you know, yeah. the, the entertainment uh, location. Right. Um, it was too well protected. Right. So, you know, that that I'm going to turn to a soft target. And that's what it is. Right. And that's what – so when you say, okay, part two of the question, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. We're making ourselves as hard a target as we can. Mm. You know, we are making sure that we have – those gates in position, those access control systems. Mm-hmm. We're ensuring that not just anybody gets in, mm-hmm. you know, and and that's across the industry, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, we follow a lot of uh, when it comes to, you know, f- sort of you mentioned before the federal protections, mm-hmm. you know, the ISC, the Interagency Security Committee that mm-hmm. put together, um, and it was actually post um, – Oklahoma City, mm. they put in place just minimum standards, minimum guidelines on how to protect buildings, how to protect entities. And it is as simple as controlling, you know, as you mentioned, parking areas. Mm-hmm. It's having a, a presence, you know, a, a either law enforcement or a security guard presence mm-hmm. that's just, con, you know, completely controlling uh, who comes in and who goes out. Mm-hmm. And it's ensuring that when you have that type of a hard target, that it's not the day that you're going to be attacked. Right. How do you, you know, the key to all of this stuff is, um, I think, people. How do you recruit people that want to sign up to do a gig like this? I, I you know, I could never understand why somebody would want to go be an electrician. If I had a bad day as a plumber, I get wet. Right. I got to clean that purple stuff off of my, I'm not saying I'm speaking from experience, right. but you know, I got PVC glued to my wrist or something. If you're an electrician and you have a bad day, it's probably your last day. It's mm-hmm. certainly going to be a day you won't forget. To, to, to recruit people, um, and then to continue continually pour into them to develop the skill set you're talking about to, um, you know, one, you have to have a heart for people. Security's got to be important. You know, sheepdogs mm-hmm. don't bite sheep, you know. They, they, they take care of the flock. And so that's a unique, um, that's a unique temperament in order to do that. At the same time. They're not just focused on the flock, you know. They have to be able to. And these might be terrible uh, analogies, but it's just as my brain's running. You know, when threats come across the flock, they've got to be able to simultaneously re- protect the flock and defend against the threat in a way that doesn't just. You know, Patton once said, "Don't die for your country. Let that poor yep. bastard die, die for, for theirs." His. Right? Yep. And uh, he wasn't being disrespectful to a, a worthy adversary. But it was, um, you don't do yourself or your family any good if you die at the mouth of the cave. You know, protect your family, so prepare yourself. So how do you recruit people and build a culture? It can't just be those people on your staff, but a whole culture. It's not paranoid. Mm-hmm. It's linked arms and love and trying to serve a mission. This may be a little too hokey, but that's just how I see it. But also then get people specifically into a role like this that says, look, we're our role, our calling is to be a sheepdog. How do you recruit people into a data center industry, much less a company, to play a role like that? And two great points you just made. 
it is a calling. Mm. So number one, it's about protection and, you know, protecting people, infrastructure, data. It it, it is a calling to do that. It's above ourselves. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you mentioned mission. You know, as I've said, you have individuals out there who, be it the military, be it federal government service, state, local, you know, law enforcement, it is about the mission of protecting. Mm. And they realize, and we realize, those critical infrastructure entities, there are men and women out there that want to continue that mission of protecting that critical infrastructure because they realize and they understand and they've been educated that if something bad happens to that critical infrastructure, mm-hmm. it's a bad day for the United States, mm-hmm. for our national security, for our economy, for the wellness of us as as a society. And they're drawn to that. And when you find an individual like that, you hang on to them. Mm. You know, they're easy to recruit. Mm-hmm. They almost they, they recruit themselves. Mm. And and when they're that committed, you see it, you know it. And there's opportunity there that, you know, not just to hire them now, but to have them for the future, you know, to put them in leadership positions also. Uh, because, again, we're not going to be here forever. Right. So it's how are we building that bench mm-hmm. that ensures that protection maintains and is sustained. I've seen a number of things over the years um, change from an ask perspective of um, uh, industry that's coming into data centers. The original question was, can, can will the facility stay up and operational? Then it was, how secure is it? Who's coming and going? Uh, I want to make sure that nobody can get to my mm-hmm. stuff, things mm-hmm. like that. And so it was very physical, lock it down, access control. Later, um, probably about five years ago, heavy emphasis on uh, cons- consumable resources. So whether that's water, power, whatever. How are we becoming more efficient? What's our green initiatives? How are we being good stewards of capital and and people and resources? It's, you know, they become much more socially aware, um, huge for the industry and the industry's responded. And lately, and, it, and all of those are additive. They didn't replace, they just accumulate over time. And it feels like the last two or three years, in particular, the last 18 months with some of the major ransomware things. We've heard it in the healthcare industry for a number of years, but now, you know, it used to be denial of service type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, since bots and machines have gotten so good at just overwhelming and cloud infrastructure can overwhelm systems. But it is, um, um, you know, it's this idea of I need to make sure that not just that you have people in place, but that you have a program, that you are that you have a sophistication around, not just an awareness, but a sophistication and a policy, almost like preventative maintenance, but preventative security. Your, your first responders and you're in a conti- rigorous, contiguous, virtuous cycle of educating and interacting. One of the really cool things that happened um, with a guy named Travis Wright, who we both know, mm-hmm. when Travis get really sophisticated at buying green energy, being really wise, not just doing carbon swap credits or whatever, but how do we work with energy companies to really get wise at how we buy, where we invest, what we do um, to create a more sustainable, you know, hit our own sustainability goals. But then he did something that nobody expected him to do. He went to our competitors and our customers and said, here's how I'm doing it. 
And people find that incredible to believe. They just don't believe it's true, but it's true. Mm-hmm. And he's he leads the way in that level of transparency because it's for the better good, right? And so I'm curious, that's that's a long leg way. I don't know any other way to do it. Segue into one, do you find that to be true yourself that our 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 um, customers want to make sure, look, not just what you're doing, but what? how do you embrace this and where are we going as an organization and as an industry? And two, how do you share with us or even with our frenemies to make sure as an industry we're helping to protect ourselves? If somebody were to have that conversation with you, how would you answer that? Without a doubt, we have to share that intelligence, that information. And because, again, it's how we get better. It's how the industry gets better. A lot of times we talk about, you know, after action incidents or after action reports. Right. Um, uh, others, I think of the military, they called it, um, what was it? After an event occurs, you sit down and you do I, a hot wash. I only wash. knew them as after action reports, but yeah. Hot wash. Hot wash, you yeah. You know, as you go through things. And not only does it, and again, a lot of times we, we don't want to be critical of ourselves or others that we're working with. We right. want to say, no, we did the best, and right. here's all the things we did that were great. Right. If you're not humble enough to see some of the mistakes you may have made, right. you're going to continue to make them. Right. You know, So I, I give a great, um, a great call out and a great appreciation for what the FBI, DHS, others have put together from a, we, we have we call it a data center physical security working group. Mm. Um, the one we're a part of, we participate in heavily is up in With the, these organizations? Yep. Okay. We, we participate heavily up in, um, in, in the Northern Virginia area. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great group. What they do is we've gotten together. We've gotten together multiple times, naturally coming out of COVID. Mm-hmm. We're getting together in person. Mm-hmm. And we talk about what are the threats that are out there. How do we prepare for um, potential cyber attacks against us? You know, how do we know or who do we know the threat to be? You know, what do we deal with when it comes to ransomware, when it comes to, um, you know, our supply chain? Mm-hmm. How are we ensuring that the supply chain is protected? Because, again, if we're not sharing that intelligence, somebody is going to have a very bad day. Mm-hmm. And when it impacts on one, it's going to impact on all of us. And a lot of times you can't get your reputation back when an event like this occurs or it takes a very long time to rebuild your reputation. We get that and we don't want anything to happen to our customers either. So we're sharing information and intelligence with them. They're sharing it back with us to ensure that we can be the best protectors of them, their information that we can. Well, I know we just have a few more minutes. You touched on something that's near and dear to my heart. I'm not going to belabor it because I've got a supply chain guru coming Good. in. Excellent. And um, I'll be listening to that one. He, um, he's a genius. He also terrifies me. Um, there's so many really cool things that are going on and the level of sophistication and how we're levering technology for that. At the same time, we are spectacularly vulnerable. We meaning just people that need a supply chain, right? Yes. So when you think about that from your perspective, how... how how do we work to protect the supply chain? How do we work towards, in, in whatever you can um, share, one, how do we get aware and how do we manage through that? And how does that conversation come up when you're working with these uh, federal agencies? Sure. Trust but verify. Okay. We, we talked about that. So, you know, the fact that prices have gone up right now, probably everywhere yeah. for a lot of reasons. Right. You know, a lot of it is is the pandemic, is, 
you know, factories were shut down. Um, certain locations were shut down. They couldn't even get their goods out of certain locations right. because of. Um, they couldn't get the ships, you know, mm-hmm. either out of the port or into the port. Yeah. Um, so goods are just, you know, they're, they're, bottle, they're right. bottlenecked right, right now, getting them through. What we have to ensure is if there is an alternative to one supplier or one group, that it, the quality we're getting is as good, if not better, than what our original supplier was providing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that because that was a big part of, hey, one of the reports that recently came out from the federal government talked about don't, don't for a matter of time, don't sacrifice quality because right. what you're going to get is impact you know, negatively on what you're trying to build. So if yeah. it's a new structure that we're putting up, we don't want to go with second-rate steel or second-rate concrete or anything right. like that. We want to ensure the quality we're getting. So trust the company, the new company, but verify. You know, and we used to do that even when we were building um, FBI locations or mm-hmm. FBI buildings. We had to ensure, is the technician cleared? Mm-hmm. You know, if they're coming in, has the background check been done? Mm-hmm. Are they using equipment or wiring or anything else that was made in the U.S., mm-hmm. you know, that wasn't sent in from a, a foreign country? Um, are we ensuring that the technicians on site, those two, you know, when you talk about the federal side of things, are they, you know, U.S. citizens? Are we ensuring that they're properly trained, that they have the background, the cert- certific- um, certifications to do what they're doing on our sites? Mm. So it, it is, it's a big, it's not just, hey, it's taking too much time to get things on site. Right. It's where are they now coming from? And, and looking at the subs, you know, is the vendor that we're using, the company that we're using, are they subbing out to a, another location or another company that may not be of the best quality? Mm-hmm. Those are the things we have to verify, we have to continue to check on and dig a little deeper on. You know, the quality I'm familiar with also, especially from the infrastructure side, if I'm, I learned the hard way when I was in fourth grade, the bolt that I broke on my bicycle, I swapped out with another bolt that fit the hole, but it was a metric bolt, not a yep. standard bolt. And it was hard to screw my, I didn't know the difference between metric and standard in fourth grade. I blame my dad. And I took that, whatever it was, 12 millimeter bolt or whatever on that uh, nine sixteenths or, and just crank that sucker down. And it worked great. Most of the way down the street, it stopped about the time I hit the BMX track mm-hmm. and failed on me. And so in our world, um, you know, I may order a different, um, gen that appears to have the same quality. It may appear to have the same capacity, but what I didn't double check was it doesn't have the same footprint. It doesn't fit into the location in the same way. It doesn't have the same connectors. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have this, the same whatever. So all of those things I'm familiar with doing this for 20 years. What I didn't think about was, yeah, but if you're, higher, if you're bringing in gen set number two um, and, and its support infrastructure – is primarily, you know, is not a fully vetted support infrastructure. What a better way to get a Trojan horse. And, yes. it, and I'm not a particularly, I'm an optimistic person. I'm not particularly paranoid. So it wouldn't have occurred to me. That's why Till I we hate had this conversations podcast. like this, this <laughs> where they scare the heck out of me. Um, because the other side of what we're saying is look at the amazing things we're able to do with technology. We're able to uh, facilitate 
um, human flourishing through data. We're able to train people better. We're able to identify threats um, and respond to them before while there's still probabilities. Like there's all this other side of this stuff, right? The, the benefit of an airplane comes with the risk of an airplane crash. And if we don't do our due diligence and we don't build redundant systems and then follow them, the planes will fall out of the sky as they did when we first built airplanes or Correct. drove on the road. Now, my kids have the benefit that my great-grandparents didn't have when they drive of having a white line here that's reflective and a yellow line here that's reflective and markers and all of this other stuff. And vehicles that keep you within those lines Within them, right? That they don't bounce. I remember driving my grandfather's 72 Coupe de Ville, which for the first 10 minutes I thought was amazing. I was like 20 years old. And then later I was driving that thing and I went to stop. I didn't realize stopping that thing was like a 20-minute event. Mm-hmm. You know, it was not the same as my little uh, whatever I had at the time. And now the car stops for you now the if car, you're too close That's in right. Front what of are you doing? Slow down. It's my grandfather's in the car. Slow this thing down. Um, but, you know, so I am an optimist. I'm naturally an optimist. But I need, I need regular warnings. Um, and where I don't have a regular warning, I need at least a passive system like a airbag and a restraint that says when you're not paying attention or you just make a mistake or through nobody's fault, there is a consequence. We want to give you the best opportunity to be protected. And it feels like, you know, your organization is one of those that's constantly thinking about how do I build active protection in and training to keep people aware, but people being people. people yes. Where and they get complacent, which is what we do. And Dave, that, that's when we when we focus on and look at that insider risk, that insider threat, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about the witting and the unwitting. Mm-hmm. You know, the witting is the person who, hey, th- they're already compromised. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to come in and they're either here to do something nefarious because they were asked to do it or because it's an opportunity and they're going to get everything they can and they're going to leave and either sell the information or use the information, you know, for something nefarious. The other one is the unwitting. Hmm. Like we talked about, you know, you you haven't had your cup of coffee in the morning and you can barely even, you know, park the car, get in, get get to your desk. (laughs) You're the one who brought it up. (laughs) You know, get to your desk, use... Use multiple passwords to get in there. Right. And then, oh, by the way, you got this email that you thought was a legitimate email and you're going to respond to it. Right. You know, not knowing it's it's a phishing email right. or it's an attempt to, to, to penetrate. Guess what? We have in, in the system that, okay, you can't send this email because it's going to an outside, you know, address. And it's a reminder. Hey, do you really want to send this? Mm. And then you catch yourself and you say, wow, that's right. I don't want to send that. Maybe I should send this to, you know, IT security for them to take a look at it because you know what? This isn't correct. You know, or the banner that shows up when you log in. Hey, just a reminder, anything that you do on this computer is owned and operated by such and such companies, such and such, you know, um, government organization. It's ensuring that reminder is out there. It's whenever you, you go somewhere else within the company, if it's, access to certain areas or certain information, oh, yeah, it's a reminder that I'm not working at, you know, some other location where you can just freely flow, come in and out. There's actually locks and access control systems in place and iris scans and readers that say, wow, you know, I am actually entering into a place that's pretty damn important. Mm -hmm. And we're not just going to, you know, willy-nilly, as I mentioned, go through and, hey, whatever happens and talk about it and do whatever else and give others access to that. No, Mm -hmm. this is protected. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that. 
As we wrap up our talk, what when you look at <clears throat> your watch anyway going forward, what are the things that you're concentrating on to ensure that you know businesses like ours in this industry, which I do think whatever level of threat we have today is going to come under increased scrutiny as a vulnerability, um, the controls for the infrastructure of the world live in our facilities and facilities like us. You know, the you in the beginning we talked about um, you know there's this. We've heard it so much. You ever notice how something said so much you eventually just tune it out? I experienced that firsthand about, I don't know, six years after I was married. We had a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old all at the same time saying, Mommy. The only person who did not hear Mommy was my wife. Everybody else heard Mommy 400 times. So it had happened so much she was ignoring it. We hear this idea of fake news. Oh, well, it's the people on that network. No, 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 no. It's the people on that network. No, it's this, right? So it's not my team. It's that team. But there is the, um, the way there's so much going on. We hear that term so much that we've, I think we've learned the impact that there really is fake news. And sometimes it's not either of those teams. It's, it's another team. It's teams outside of our country that, you know, assuming that both of the, the red and the blue teams are patriots, they just disagree, but they are genuinely working as iron sharpens iron towards, and I know I'm probably lost half of my audience right there, but let's just assume for the moment that they're, they really are patriots and they really want what's best for America. And that's our American tradition is working together to build a community that works for us. Um, but there are a lot of people in the world that are whatever the community is. Doesn't have to be America. It can you know somebody's community someplace else, and people are through uh, technology and using data trying to cloud the conversation to insinuate, um, to mislabel for people. They said this. No, they never said that. Didn't so and so really say this? No, they didn't say that. So that what that means is, um, I believe that organizations are, like ours that house data can become, you know, the, the threat level rises. Mm -hmm. So as you imagine looking to the future, whether it's working with federal agencies or other organizations, what we're doing internally, wh what does that look like as you make sure we're as prepared as we can be? It, it, and that's why, you know, I, I kind of get a grin because it is a challenge. It is a huge challenge. But it's what gets you up every day. It's what, you know, brings you to work. It, it makes you appreciative of the people around you, mm. you know, not just within this company, but as I said, and, and you mentioned it, within the government that is protecting us. And they, they've sworn to protect the United States, and they're going to do, you know, everything they can in their powers to mm -hmm. make sure we don't fail. Mm. And, and that's the best part of it. I'm going to continue to build my relationships with, you know, not just government agencies, but private sector groups that are, you know, customers. Mm -hmm. Other other data centers, groups that are out there that we wanna we wanna get better. Groups like As Is that is constantly you know all about security, all about you know new ways of doing things, 
all about, you know, the, the, the most breaking technology on how to, you know, have motion detection so that your cameras are focused on wherever that motion is. Mm. You know, the, the, the ability right now to go out and to see some of this technology, this advanced technology that's coming out, innovation, mm-hmm. it, it's incredible. So mm. I get sort of a grin because I know the challenge. The challenge mm. is huge. I've seen it in the past. I've seen it throughout my career. Mm. Um, but knowing that private sector working with the government, creating these relationships allows us to sort of, you know, be in front of it. The intelligence factor, you know, continually looking at what's out there, continuing, continually analyzing that. Some fake, some some happening right before our eyes, you know, continually just analyzing that, um, you know, putting it into a product that makes sense, that we can then use to educate all of our employees to educate and inform our customers. It, it, it is a challenge every day that I, I appreciate. Um, I'm humbled by it, but I'm excited every single day to work towards you know continuing our mission. And that's what it comes down to, continuing the mission. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. I also want to say thank you for your service. Uh, being in law enforcement, it is a hard job that is not usually appreciated, but I appreciate it. Dave, thank you so much. And thank you for your service. You know, um, we talk about that a lot. It's that commitment. It's that connection. It's that ability to think, you know, above and higher than ourselves. I was trying to get out of my dad's house, but I'll take it. I'll take it. Thank you, my man. And thanks Thank for coming so on the show. And um, we're going to have the links down below where people can uh, find more about you. And um, I appreciate it. Have a good one. Fantastic. Thank you again, sir. All right. Thanks, everybody.